everybody, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and I'm your only host today. Um, a quick note before we get going into this episode. Um, note that next Tuesday, that is the 24th, we're going to have a live podcast event, a live recording, um, a fun time event at New State Burgers in Oklahoma City. Um, we'll be there. I think we're going to run it um, starting around 6 and run it till 8 or so. Uh, we'll probably be recording from like 7 to 8. We're going to have uh, hopefully one or two cool guests. Uh, in fact, we're going to involve the audience here, maybe play some games and uh, maybe some special announcements. So you should definitely come. We'll have some stuff, some giveaways, uh, koozies, stickers, high fives, um, maybe even a nice firm handshake if you'd like it. And, uh, and then have a chance to talk about what kind of stuff matters to you. We'd love to hear your feedback on these series we've been doing. We did criminal justice. Now we're doing gerrymandering. And then here in a couple of weeks, we're going to start our healthcare series as well. Um, three very important topics here in Oklahoma. So that's Tuesday, the 24th. Um, you can find details on our website, letsfixthisok.org, as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com slash letsfixthisok. All right. Uh, so to turn our attention to this episode, we are joined uh, this week uh, by phone by a man named David Daly. David is the author of a book called Ratfucked. You heard that correctly. I'm not going to repeat it in case you have children nearby. Uh, however, this is definitely why we had the explicit language warning on this particular episode. Uh, so this book, uh, Ratfucked, is about gerrymandering, right? Like it is, th- he literally wrote the book on the subject. It's one of the rare books that I've actually underlined things inside. Um, and here's one quote that I underline. While we may have sorted ourselves into cities, suburbs, or rural America, but these lines drawn by experts informed more by more data than ever before have sorted us into congressional districts. Those districts, limit, intended by the founders to be directly responsive to the people's will, have now been insulated from it. Um, for whatever reason, that stood out to me when I was reading it um, a few weeks ago. So, uh, David has traveled the country um, reading, um, reading about this, talking to people, literally walked and drove district lines in a whole bunch of states um, to expose the impact of gerrymandering across our country, right? And um, now Oklahoma is not included in this book. Um, he has a new book coming out next year. Um, he's, he alludes to that at the end of the episode. To my knowledge, we're also not included in that book. However, just because our state isn't, you know, maybe one of the top 10 most uh, egregiously gerrymandered states, that doesn't mean that we're not gerrymandered. Indeed, um, we definitely are. And if you look at any map of state legislative districts, you can see it pretty obviously. Um, I, I speak in this episode about the district in which I live, Senate District 30 here in Oklahoma City, that it is by, I think, all accounts, by most people's opinion, if you just look at it, you realize something is fishy about this district. So um, David gives us some really great insight on uh, on how these districts, how they got to be gerrymandered, the, the partisan influence that has led us to this point, uh, and maybe some ideas for how we could fix it, right? Which is very important. Okay, so uh, on that note, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with the interview. 
Okay, so I'm joined by David Daly, who is, uh, aside from an expert on the subject of gerrymandering, he literally wrote the book on it. Uh, he wrote a book called Rat Fucked, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. Um, David, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I uh, So I picked up your book several months ago and took it on a plane with me. We were flying to uh, on vacation to Canada, and I realized that, you know, while the cover does have some asterisks to su- subtly <laughs> hide the title that uh, the little girl sitting across the row from me was old enough to read and was probably looking over and if at some <laughs> point she asked her parents what that meant, I didn't hear. But that's probably a good place to start is tell us where you got the title for the book and, and what that term refers to. It is a sorry state of affairs when books about the state of American democracy require a a brown paper bag to be put over them. <laughs> uh, Rasfucked is really a term uh, that you can trace back, you know, a decades, um, specifically back to Watergate uh, and talk of sort of the dirty deeds, a done dirt cheap, as ACDC might put it, uh, that kind of helped Richard Nixon um take the uh, White House in, in 1968, 1972. Um, and, but it also has a context in redistricting. Um, when in the 1990s, Republicans kind of hit upon a really savvy strategy. They decided that they could use the, the, the mechanisms in the Voting Rights Act that was reauthorized in the 1980s um, to create majority-minority seats across the South that would do two things. They would increase the representation um, of Black and Latino members in Congress, but it would also pack most of the minority voters in the state into one district, and that would make it easier for Republicans to take the surrounding districts for themselves. Um, And in 1994, this really explodes and you get, you know, Newt Gingrich as Speaker of the House, you get the contract with America, Republicans reclaim the lower house for the, you know, first time in, in five decades. And there's a big story in the New Yorker uh, that Jeffrey Tubin writes, and he talks to one of the big Republican election lawyers who helped pioneer this entire plan. And he says, did, did, did you have a name for what you were doing? And he said, we didn't, but if we did, we would have called it Project Ratsuck. Um, and when the publishers heard this story, they were like, you know, that has to be the title of the book. We sold it with the boring name of Gerrymandered Nation. And the marketing department said, you know, you can't write about the most boring topic in America with the most boring title in America. Uh, so we we hit upon this instead. <laughs> right. I, you know, on the one hand, you got to hand it to them for being forthcoming <laughs> with what they're doing, right? Uh, at least they weren't, while they may have been doing it somewhat in secret, once pressed, they were quite honest with what, with what they were doing. So the, yeah, I think that's the dirty story of redistricting. You know, um, it's, it is in many ways perfectly legal. Um, and yet on the other hand, it is really deeply destructive to democracy and the ideals of representative government. 
Yeah. Well, and you have the book divided into chapters that are roughly associated with specific states. Uh, and so you kind of go into how this process was done uh, state by state. And I think if anyone hasn't read the book, even if you have, if you look through it, you'll notice that these are the states that we see in the news even still today, right? So chapter three is about North Carolina and the use of software there. And they're in the middle or at the end of having to redraw all of their state legislative districts as we record this because their state courts found uh, found the maps to be drawn with a clear partisan bias. Can you, That's right. can I mean, you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I mean, I write in the book about North Carolina and Florida, Virginia, Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan. Um, and what we have seen across this entire decade is since these maps were put in place in 2011, um, and I don't mean to take a partisan slant here, but Republicans did enact all of those maps in all of those states. Um, and what has happened in each of those states since then is that even in elections at which Democratic candidates win more votes, they have been unable all decade long to translate a majority of votes into a majority of seats. And you've seen this in Michigan in every single cycle on these maps, which Democratic candidates for the state house have won more votes. Republicans have held control of the chamber ever since. You see it in North Carolina, Ohio, Wisconsin, especially, where in 2018, for example, a Democrats kicked out Scott Walker in the governorship. They reelected a Democratic U.S. Senator. Democrats won every single statewide office, and Democrats also won 200,000 more votes for the state assembly. They were able to pick up one seat, and Republicans hold a 63-36 edge in Wisconsin's assembly, even though they get six figures, fewer votes. Uh, so this is a, a deep crisis of representative democracy that was... Um, thrust upon us in 2011 by these maps it endures to this moment there is still litigation uh that has you know fought. we are eight years into this cycle um we redraw these maps every 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 10 years after the census so these maps came into place in 2011 here we are in 2019 and we are still fighting about them in courts even right up on the verge of the next redistricting. Right. So that was, you know, my thought about North Carolina's, uh, the court ruling from a couple of weeks ago is that it, it gave the state legislature two weeks to redraw all their maps, which is a very truncated timeline by most standards. And it, that process has not been without additional drama, right? I, some <laughs> Senator like threatened to resign and, um, it's been it's interesting amazing. to read. Do uh, well, so they'll redraw them. I think they've got to have them done by maybe the end of this week. And even regardless, let's say they approve them and they move ahead, they'll still have to redraw all those districts again in in two years, right? In twenty twenty one, they'll have to do the whole process over that's again. Exactly right. Um, and I think what is so important about this is that these districts in North Carolina have been 
proven to be unconstitutional racial gerrymanders. They've been proven to be unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders. You've had bipartisan judges at the state level and at the federal level throw out at these maps um, as being unconstitutional, um, you know, as you know, violating Americans' most fundamental right to free elections and fair representation. Um, and yet, here we are in 2019, and those maps have endured for eight years. The citizens of North Carolina have been voting in and governed by essentially an unconstitutional body for the last eight years. There was a Reagan aide you know, back in the 1980s um, who was acquitted of corruption charges, and and after the trial, he came outside and talked to reporters and said, where do I go to get my reputation back? And I think the question that you know voters in North Carolina and voters around the country who have been stuck in this enduring minority rule need to be asking is, where do we go to get this last decade of our politics back? There has been, you know, important legislation passed on on health care, on reproductive rights, on labor unions, on on voting rights, on, you know, a transgender bathrooms in North Carolina. Um, and this legislation has been passed and enacted into law by uh, chambers that not only got fewer votes of the people, uh, but that has been proven to be unconstitutional again and again and again. We need a better mechanism of drawing these maps that take the politicians out of it and put the people back in charge so that we can get actual fair results. These state legislatures are supposed to be the, the, the bodies that are closest to the people. You know, John Adams talked about them as a miniature of the populace. They are not even close to being a fair representation of the popular will. Yeah, I think, you know, as I've been studying this over the last several months, it has really stood out to me that gerrymandering and, and, and we'll just say the, the process by which many state legislatures, including our own here in Oklahoma, by the way that we draw the lines is the epitome of that like special interest backroom deal happens mm-hmm. um, without any input or um, observation by the public. Uh, and it's like, oh, this is the like this is the epitome of all the things that people don't like about government. And the reasons that we distrust government is that we, we suspect this kind of thing is happening. And it's it is striking to me how like out in the open it, it is about this. That's exactly yeah. what's happening. So you it's mentioned everything Americans hate about it. You're yeah. right. You know, I mean, and it's something that, you know, I think Donald Trump voters wanted to drain the swamp. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, have voters talked about a rigged system and a political revolution. And I think that uh, this is something that unites voters across the spectrum is that we want our elections to be free and fair. We want the systems to work. We don't want politicians making up rules that entrench themselves at our expense in back rooms. And that's what gerrymandering does. It allows politicians to choose their own voters rather than us choosing our own politicians and representatives. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, 
as you kind of said, this is this has certainly been done by both parties, right, throughout history. And looking back at for here in Oklahoma, you know, our our state was founded in uh, 1907, and so for the first hundred years, it was mostly a democratic control. And then uh, about 20 years ago, it uh, it flipped, and so for the last time, it's the last 10, 12 years, it's been uh, Republican controlled, and I've. Uh, it occurs to me that this has been happening the whole time, right? Like everyone is played by the rules. It's just that the rules kind of suck, and it it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a big deal. It didn't it didn't become such high stakes until you know roughly fifteen twenty years ago when computing power caught up, right? So um, eighty years ago when you know there the Oklahoma legislature or any state legislature is drawing these districts. They're literally have a map out and they've got a pencil and they're, you know, drawing around, but it was not as populated and they would have a general feel for like communities or where folks lived, but it not, it wasn't the same as it is now where they've got software. And you talk about Maptitude in the book of software that can combine multiple data sets and drill down and, and do it with precision, like down to the not just the precinct, but to the house, right? Like they can, they know, you know, these three houses in the block have been reliably Democratic and these two are Dem- are Republican. And so we're going to cut a line between them and put these in one precinct and the others in the other. And and I think what we saw, you know, maybe in the last couple of, uh, of elections is that there are other entities out there who can combine voter data and census data with, social media data and they don't just know how we voted in the past but they know how we might vote in the future based on our uh, like on our specific interests and uh, leanings and things we like on Facebook and whatever and when that occurred to me (laughs) one night reading the book uh, it kind of shook me to my core that like oh we have we have something really important that we could lose here if we don't fix this no, I think you're right. I mean, um, I couldn't say that any better. It's 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 a horrifying and and terrifying situation. Um, we've had gerrymandering for as long as we've had politicians, right? I mean, if you trace it back to you know Patrick Henry trying to screw James Madison out of a, a, a seat in the very first Congress, he gets its name from a Massachusetts governor uh, who was trying to you know rig uh, state senate districts to his favor in the Boston area back in 1812. Um, but it's not just 80 years ago that it was politicians with a map and a pencil. It was, it was 1990. It was 2000. Mm-hmm. They were still using maps and really primitive computers at the time. And, you know, both parties did it up to their eyeballs. There are no angels and virgins when it comes to the redistricting. Both parties have got their hands dirty in this. Um, what happens in 2010 you know, two things. First, it's a big Republican year. It's a Tea Party year, and Republicans are able to take control of state legislatures in exactly the year that matters ahead of the census and the redistricting that uh, follows in years in years ending in one. And then the second thing is just this data and computer revolution uh, that gives these map makers not only these sophisticated a GIS software mapping programs, um, but also the the 
massive, powerful data sets that enable them to go up and down one side of the street and the other with true surgical precision to identify which voters they want in which district. They're able to use, you know, terabytes of, of data. Um, gerrymandering has always been with us. We're just so much better at it than mm-hmm. we've ever been, which makes it that much more destructive. There's all of these public data sets, so all of the information in the census, but then, you know, the, the driver's license database, the uh, voter registration database, which years did you vote in, which years did you not vote in? Um, do you own a gun? What kind of a car do you drive? All of these things can be extraordinarily predictive to a computer algorithm that is trying to get a sense of how you vote. And then factor in all of the private data sets that are purchasable for pennies on the dollar, whether that's magazine subscriptions or television ratings or uh, you know, social media likes, web searches. I mean, all of this can be purchased and targeted. Those same ads that you know, follow you around on the web, uh, you know, that's marketing. Uh, and that is all available to be purchased, and it can be uploaded into these extraordinarily sophisticated programs. Uh, and as I worked on this book, I drove around the country, and I drove these crazy lines in, in multiple states. And these district lines look like crazy squiggles or you know, awful shapes, and it's easy to kind of have a good time with them and sort of imagine what kind of screeching you know, dinosaurs they look like. Uh, but they are engineered to deliver an electoral result. And often they're engineered to deliver an electoral result that is opposite of the will of the people. And that's why we have to fix this and change it. Yeah, I do appreciate that about your book. A couple of things that I actually wanted to talk about, some of those crazy looking districts that you got to drive through, um, you know, what maybe one of the more notable ones is the Donald Duck kicking Goofy one, mm-hmm. um, which I had to. That's such a, a visual phrase. I had to go look it up. I'm like, oh, indeed, that's it's like playing the game when you're a kid <laughs> where you look at clouds and try to figure out what the cloud looks like. Um, except these are actual people in, in voting districts um, here in Oklahoma. You know, we are a largely rural state, so we, the outskirts are dominated by a, a smaller number of, of large districts which by and large aren't terrible looking, you know, like some of them kind of make sense. They follow county lines or rivers and that kind of thing. But once you get into the Oklahoma city and the Tulsa Metro area, um, things look a lot more bizarre. And in fact, the Senate district that I live in, uh, Senate district 30 had been held by Republican for a number of years. And, uh, and then it in 2016 or I guess it was 2018. It flipped to uh, to a Democrat, and and to be fair, the Republican was fairly moderate. Um, he's now the the mayor of of Oklahoma City, and the Democrat is also fairly moderate. But the district is is roughly shaped like a letter C, but it is it it has all the things that we look for in what would likely be a gerrymandered district, right? Like part of the part of the district is only contiguous because it includes a lake. And so those of us who know it, like we know that there's a road that goes around the perimeter of this reservoir. And that is, that is the road by which it is all contiguous. 
Um, obviously, there's no one in the lake that votes. No one lives out there. Um, and so that seems suspicious. And it connects, you know, from the lake, it jumps across a highway and connects parts of town that are otherwise somewhat disparate. Um, and then it goes way out in the west side of town uh, and and cuts through a couple of smaller cities and then comes back in um, closer to the urban core where I live. And, and my neighborhood is like, a, a dangling chad <laughs> hanging on to this um and um and it's funny that if it wasn't for that neighborhood i think the district might have stayed republican it's um i think my based on yard signs i saw last year my neighborhood i think is uh is fairly left-leaning and so by by a chance my both my parents and my sister live in oklahoma city and we all live about seven miles apart from each other um, but we're all in the same Senate district because it has this weird curved shape. Um, and so the fact that we we only see each other maybe once a month because it's so far to drive, and yet we all would vote for the same state senator. And um, so that's been entertaining. So I've been looking through and um, just trying to look at our districts here and uh, and come up with some, you know, maybe we don't, we don't have Donald Duck uh, kicking Goofy, but we've got some other pretty strange looking districts and the thing that i wish people knew is when you lay over that map of just the district lines with where the legislators live in that district often i think that is eye-opening where you see that you know the speaker of the house lives in one corner of his district and then it stretches out across the state um to include some other you know some other areas and you're like well that seems at least odd, if not outright suspicious. Did you see similar trends are, in other states? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, these maps are drawn for the benefit of politicians and parties. They are not drawn in order to keep communities whole and together. Um, and when the main goal of a map is the kind of of partisan result it it produces um that leads to lousy representation um and you can't represent a community adequately if that community has been sliced and diced in order to serve the purposes of a particular incumbent or a particular political party it just you know it doesn't work um and voters understand this. You know, people understand this. Um, I think the amazing thing about what happened in 2018 when there were successful ballot initiatives or amendments passed in Ohio, Michigan, Missouri, Utah, and Colorado is that um, not only did all of these pass, but most of them passed with well upwards of 60% of the vote, sometimes as much as 70% of the vote. Um, and these are competitive states in most cases, or, or red states in many other cases. And so it's not just that members of one party are backing this. You don't get 60 or 70% of the vote unless Democrats, Republicans, and independents all agree that this is bad and no way to run a functioning and fair democracy. The people who want to hold this the way it is right now are the politicians. And it's the politicians of both sides who like their districts, who like the safety of their districts, 
um, and they know that it keeps them employed and in power. But it also makes all of us suffer the cost of poor representation. Yeah. Well, so let's turn the conversation to not just what's wrong, but how we fix it, right? That's hey. our organization is let's fix this. It's kind of the business we're in. Um, so the, you know, maybe the the gold words that we keep hearing are an independent commission or independent redistricting commission. Um, and in many states, that is, uh, I guess in most states, it's designed to be a group of people who are independent from the legislature that are charged with drawing the lines uh, during redistricting. But in my research, it seems like for just as many states as have one, there are that many different ways to do it. Are there some that to you uh, stand out as being better than others? Yes. Um, I mean, I think that there are some states in which there's an independent commission, but really it's a bipartisan sweetheart commission and they just divide the seats amongst themselves. That's not particularly helpful and it, it doesn't lead to, you know, better, more competitive elections. Um, and, and more genuine representation, which is what all of us actually want to see. Um, I think if you look at California, California has got a pretty terrific setup in which they have a very fair process in which they seek Democrats, Republicans, and independents uh, to serve on the uh, committee. They put people through a, you know, a real process to, to find um, folks who will serve, you know, honestly and with, um, and bring a real skills to the table. Um, and then they require lots and lots of public input. They require, you know, lots of hearings at which people can come, um, and tell the commissioners about, you know, uh, uh, why certain communities ought to be held together about, you know, what it is that they have in common that it would be useful to be represented by one person. Um, and what California and what some of the other new commissions that passed in 2018 do, which I just think is so terrific, is um, you you can't pass a map without the support of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. So the Democrats and Independents can't team up on the Republicans. The Republicans and the Democrats can't team up on the Independents. The Republicans and the Independents can't team up on the Democrats. You've got to produce a set of maps that all three groups can sign off on. And what a great metaphor for the kind of politics we would like to actually have, right? Um, a politics of consensus in which everybody comes to the table, works together to solve a problem, um, and puts together the absolute best plan that the most people can be satisfied with. Um, that just seems like a really good model. Um, and if we could model in our map making the actual kinds of politics that we'd like to see, perhaps it would even be um, an example for the politicians who are elected to follow. Yeah. I, uh, I listened to the gerrymandering project that 538 did that podcast series and if mm. if our listeners haven't already heard us talk about it enough you should definitely go listen to it um but there is 
some audio from Arizona, right? Where um, their commission is an equal number of Republicans and Democrats with like one independent that chairs the commission, I think. And yeah, I think Arizona really broke down. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a five person commission. It's two Democrats, two Republicans uh, who are appointed by the state parties. Um, so from the beginning, you have four out of five people on a supposed citizen independent commission who, you know, are partisans. And then you have one independent um, who has to sort of somehow stand in the middle of four partisans and control the process. And that just doesn't work very well. Um, Republicans think in, in, in 2011, the Democrats found a way to game the process and sneak a Trojan horse on as the chair. The Democrats think that the uh, chair in 2001 was too conservative and led the process to benefit Republicans. Um, it, the independent commission in Arizona was not actually independent, um, did not necessarily produce a better outcome or, or take any of the partisanship out of the process. It simply, it simply moved it someplace else. And I think as a result, it is a good example of what not to do right. when designing a commission. Right. You want to have more transparency. You don't want the politicians involved in choosing the members. And you want it to be large enough so that it doesn't all come down to just kind of one a person. And ideally, you also want to have consensus across across all groups. Yeah. I think I mean it seems clear to me that that this isn't this isn't a a partisan issue this is a power issue right so it's yeah, I, I mean it's the the problem is partisanship cumulatively but it's regardless of yeah. where you're at you know that you know you could say that um if you were trying to pass an independent commission that you know Republicans in Oklahoma might be opposed to it because they're the party in power in the same way that Democrats in Illinois might be opposed to it because they're the party in power there, right? Like it's, it has to do with not, not the party of the, of necessarily, but like which, whoever has the power at that time. And, and nobody wants to give up the power to draw these lines. Right. Right. They, and that's because they know how powerful that, that that ability is. Right. Um, You know, it's in some ways, the lack of willingness of these politicians to uh, uh, surrender that power when they have it is the ultimate proof of just how meaningful it is. Right, right. Like if if it doesn't matter, why are they so concerned about it? Exactly. Yeah. And so I think, you know, to me, uh, I feel like I'm a good governance guy. Like I, you know, I care about our state, the integrity of our democracy. I care about our ability to, um, to, be fair and to be transparent with the public about how things are happening. And the moment that we lose that, um, then we start losing faith in our government and that's a slippery slope, right? And it's modern times are bad enough. Um, but if we can't even agree on a fair and transparent way to draw districts, then, um, then we need to look at some alternative ways, um, to make that happen. And, and I mean, for me, I think an independent commission is a, tremendous idea it makes a lot of sense um and when i've spoken with people we've kind of been doing this uh like a statewide tour right like a community conversation 
Um, we've partnered with the League of Women Voters, and we've been driving around and holding these little community events, and and people bring up all the usual issues: education, healthcare, criminal justice, you know, taxes, all the things we normally talk about. And but at every stop, there's someone who has been watching the news, right, and says, "Hey, what about this? I know the census is next year, and and what about?" some sort of independent redistricting commission. And it always, every stop it's caught me off guard because those are not words that normal people utter at a community event, right? And so I'm like, okay, tell me. Things have changed. That's right. Tell me, you're paying attention. Tell me why and and what your interest is in that. And, and we kind of joked that we were surprised that it came up so often. And, and so, you know, usually one person has some information and so we end up talking about it with a group. And most of the group is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then within two or three minutes, right, you kind of just lay it out like, well, this is how they draw it now. And everyone's like, well, no, that hell no, that sounds like a terrible idea. You're like, okay. <laughs> right. And as you said earlier, like it's right now, politicians pick their voters, right? They draw the districts for their gain um, to make it easier for them to be reelected and, and for their party, whichever party, to stay, stay in power. And everyone, like just at face value, like rebukes that. And it's like, no, that's... That's not yeah. how I want my state run. That's okay, it. here's an right. alternative. That's not the way I thought I learned this in civics class. Right, right. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, but that is, you know, but that's the way that it's it's done, and it doesn't serve the best interests of people. It serves the best interests of politicians. Um, and I think what more and more Americans are beginning to realize is that, you know, first that the politicians have have used these district lines to entrench themselves and insulate themselves from us and, and voters at the ballot box. Um, and, and that's wrong. Uh, but I think what we also realize is that there's more consensus in this country than there, than we perhaps come to believe, you know, that there's a lot of agreement on, a path forward on a lot of issues. Um, and yet our politics is sort of stuck in this, in this, in this moment of extreme polarization that does not match up with public opinion polls on big issues. Um, and what people are beginning to understand is that there's this huge connection, right? Between the structural problems in our politics, these districts, um, and the kinds of politicians that get elected from them and the way that they're then incentivized to behave in power and the sort of broken, dysfunctional, non-responsive, you know, lack of problem solving that we get from our government. And that if we want to get action on the issues we care about, we might have to fix this, this broken system first, you know, um, Gerrymandering might not be the issue that you care most about, but until we fix gerrymandering, we probably won't be able to solve the problem that you care most about. So that's a reason why everybody ought to be concerned with it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's like has it is one of the underpinnings of our democracy, and it by its very nature, the, the structure of things has to be solid, right? You have a good foundation. Otherwise, whatever else you built on top of that um, is is just not going to work, right? Not going to be as strong. That's right. So um, kind of my last question, I think, is is 
what are the, you know, four or five or six like key features or tenets of a of a strong like good governance independent commission in your eyes? I think the most important thing is transparency. I think you need to have a process that is wide open. So lines have to be drawn in public. People have to be aware of what kind of data is being used. And commissioners ought to have to do an awful lot of listening to the public as far as public hearings and 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 listening to what people believe communities of interest that ought to be held together to be uh, and to allow public input into maps. Um, I think you have to have a commission that is actually free of partisan influence. There is no way to get rid of, of partisanship, right? Everybody has an opinion. Um, everybody who casts a vote, you know, you know, has an opinion. We can't see ourselves of that, but we can nevertheless build a process that requires fairness. Um, and, you know, that happens when you bring all sides to the table, um, when you open up a commission to Democrats, Republicans, independents um, of, you know, a fair-minded background who are willing to work together. Um, you put a commission of 10, 12, 15 people, and you, you make them work together to travel the state, to listen, and then to assemble the puzzle pieces of a district map um, in a way that fosters consensus. Um, so when you require a supermajority of Democrats, Republicans, and independents to back a map, you require everybody to sign off on a plan that no one feels as if they're getting rat fucked. You know, as a result, um, and I think that um, when you do this, you you know, um, you can require commissioners to show their work and to justify their work in Michigan and in California, they've asked them at the end to essentially write essays that explain why they drew districts the way that they did. Uh, you know, and the reason can't be, well, I was trying to protect my favorite incumbent, Bob, you know, it has to be, well, we put these three towns or these two counties together because they share a specific oil community interest. You know, a lot of the people who work there work for this company. Or we put these two counties together because we know that they, you know, share school systems or that they are, you know, big high school football rivals. So the towns clearly fit together and they shouldn't be divided. You know, there's a big lake here and, it, you know, it provides water and you know it's it, and it's you know an important community feature that it brings these the three towns together um there are ways to do this that make sense and and bond people rather than tear them apart um 
And that, I think, is what we ought to be looking for from our politics. And a better system of map making is what helps bring that into our politics. All right. Well said. I appreciate that. David, I really appreciate you taking time to visit today. And um, I admit I'm about three-fourths of the way through the book. So I'm going to read the last quarter of the book this weekend, um, including your epilogue, which I think kind of details what's happened in um, some of the states that have more recently been working uh, on some of this. Is that correct? A little bit, yes. Um, it is an epilogue that was written after the 2016 election. Um, and then there's a new book coming in, in February that sort of talks about a lot of the new battles back on on the a democracy front, um, on the citizen a democracy front over the last couple of years. Oh, terrific. Well, it's funny. As, as we were sitting here, I just got a message from Katie Fahey from up in Michigan, who um, some of our listeners may know, and I'm sure you do, that she was kind of the Rock one that yeah, led the charge up there for um, really some sweeping change. And I think she got something like 400,000 signatures, which is just mind-blowing. Um, and so what I'm ho- they did in Michigan was amazing. Yeah, so we're, I'm hoping to have her on the podcast here uh, in the next few days and um, kind of hear the inside story on 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 what they did there, why they did it, and um, and hopefully, you know, maybe where things are at right now, which is, I think they're being sued, but that's, uh, again, back to the, back to the <laughs> party influence. Don't give this power up easily, right? right? Not even when citizens stand up and take it back, they still cling to it. So no. well, and it's... I think the valuable lesson in Michigan is that um, these fights don't end with any one election. They continue, and we all have to be wired and energized um, and defending our democracy at all times. That's exactly right. Okay. David, thank you very much. Pleasure. All right. And that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks again to David Daly for joining us and talking about gerrymandering for the better part of an hour. Thanks to you listeners for listening to gerrymandering for the better part of an hour. As a quick reminder, next Tuesday, September 24th, New State Burgers in the Plaza District in Oklahoma City at, let's say, 6 p.m. Uh, we'll be there. There's cold beer. There's burgers. There's other food items. We'll have some giveaways, some fun jokes, good guests, fun times, maybe a high five for you. Um, while we record the next episode of Let's Pod This, we'd love to have you there. I'd love for you to come out, bring your friends. Great time to get them interested in the pod and hopefully get them involved in civics. Furthermore, it is National Voter Registration Day on the 24th if you have a friend who's not registered to vote bring them i will have forms to get them registered we can make this happen and teach them why they gotta have a vote why they gotta have a say they gotta be involved uh, if you want to get a hold of scott and i you can hit us up on twitter at let's fix this okay scott is at sc melson i am at andy okc or you can shoot us an email at podcast at let's fix this okay.org we are the folks responsible for all this content. Sugar Free All Stars did the music. We're part of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. And all the usual end of podcast credits go here. But short of that, just have a great week. <laughs>